Hi, I'm Dennis Levick. This is my lovely wife, Tracy. Hi, I'm John Rudnick. We're Barry and Anita Chenault. My name's Edward Devlin. My name is Rosalie Devlin. Hi, we are Brent and Sheila Howell. My name is Matt Leisman. Hi, my name is Hannah Rollins. My name is Jeff Peterson. Prayer to me is something that I, I struggle with in the way that I feel like I have to have some kind of formal conversation with God. And it's not having that formal conversation. It's just talking to Him from your heart. Uh, we do it differently. She likes to have the door closed, the Word open. I talk to God. I know my pathway to God is through Jesus. But I talk to God like he's my friend. I know that he is the God that sees us. He is the God that knows our names. He's the God that knows what we're doing at all times. Um, having a small group, uh, it just seemed like the right thing to do. We feel so at home here that we want to branch out. We want to, you know, invite people who want to participate in small group. Uh, we want to bring people who may not um, come to the church. It's very important to be connected to people who love Christ and have the same wants and needs as far as the fellowship and, you know, being obedient to God. Good morning, guys. All right, that was lame. Good morning. It's really great to be with you. Get your Bible out. Turn with me to Matthew 6, verse 9. If you have your, however you open your word, Bible, Bible app. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, uh, Lord willing, there's one in a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. We would love for you to have a copy of the Word of God, especially if you'll read it on a, on a regular basis. Um, get your note sheet out, okay? So get your note sheet out today, and this is kind of an announcement slash why we have a note sheet. Uh, today, twice a year, we ask that every person that calls Coastal their home church to be a part of a small group, and we do sermon-based small groups, and we want you to make an eight-week commitment, okay? So uh, so it's not like forever and ever and ever. If you've never been in a small group, I know they can be intimidating, but they really will help your spiritual journey. And that's really our goal is to help you grow to be more like Jesus. So you, the way you prepare for your small group is you take notes, okay? And we do sermon-based small groups. You're going to take some notes as God speaks to you through the sermon, whatever, write those down. And then what's going to happen when you show up to your small group is we're going to integrate the things that we've learned very practically into your lives. I mean, how's this like so what? How does this make a difference? Okay, so if you don't yet have a small group, okay, we've got this small group booklet. They're on the way out. They're also on the, this booklet's on the website. You can get it electronically. You can find a small group that fits your season or the place you are in your life or the day off that you need or whatever. I promise there'll be one for you. Uh, sign up, show up, go, be a part of a small group. That's part of our discipleship process uh, at Coastal. Secondly, um, this Saturday, we have our We Are Coastal class. We really, really want you to, um, to be a part. We want you to understand who we are, why we do what we do. Um, and so if you've never kind of gone through that process, connecting with us as a church, We Are Coastal class is your on-ramp. So it's this Saturday here at Yorktown, 5 o'clock. We have dinner and child care. Sign up so we know you're coming, so we have enough of food and enough child care for you. And then finally, I want to give you a ministry opportunity. And uh, Pastor Dave, I see you sitting there this morning. Stand up, Dave. I, Dave is new to our staff. Pastor Dave, give him a round of applause. Um, 
he's recent or he's in the pro he's in the process or some you're retiring from the military. I don't know if you have done that or not, whatever. But uh, we've known Dave now for a couple years through some various relationships in the community. He is going to be heading up a, a counseling uh, on all our campuses, and the way we're going to do that is he's going to be in charge of training biblical counselors. And so, if that at all interests you, he is going to be doing a thing called Change That Sticks. Um, and so, this is the process that we're going to put in place at all our campuses to develop uh, counseling. And all counseling really is, biblical counseling is, uh, I like to use the language, I stole this from another pastor, but I like to use the language, it's the private ministry of the Word. So preaching on Sunday mornings, the public ministry of the Word, and then counseling is, man, how does this help me change my life to be more like Christ? And I've been in a couple counseling sessions with Pastor Dave, he's amazing, and has got a lot of great tools, and he wants to give those tools to us as a body and equip us. So sounds pretty cool, right? All right, now before I jump in this morning, um, let me just say this, like my heart is really full this morning, um, and I'm also feeling the weight of the text, and I'm feeling the weight of, um, I don't really have a so what for you this morning. Like, I try to always say, hey, here's how it applies practically. The so what is I want you to meditate on the God who is, and in some ways that's, that's so what enough. Um, in some ways it's not, but, uh, so my heart is full. My heart is full to hear you guys come in here singing and like just being ready to corporately worship and be enthused about it. Like it's awesome. So thank you for doing that. Uh, my heart is full because you guys are making an impact as a church all around the world. Jimmy Martin is back from Zimbabwe, Africa. So Jimmy, it's great to see you here. One of our elders, four people are glad you're back. The rest aren't. So anyway, but, um, you know, he just got to go into Zimbabwe, and I've just heard a little bit. I can't wait to hear more of, like, all that God is doing through the ministry of Coastal, partnering with other churches, to be sure. But uh, So I'm going to hear more about that. But you guys are making a difference all around the world. And my heart is full because God is giving us opportunity to plant campuses, gospel outposts around the community. And I think we're just kind of doing the tip of the iceberg of all that God has for us. My heart is full because this room is full. <laughs> and, and, like, I really—so here's the challenge, right? I— God is, the Yorktown campus is grow, continues to grow, and I need to free up 930 space. So if, and I know for a lot of it is children, your children is the time, great, come, 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 930, it's great, it's great, we want you here. But if you have the possibility of shifting to eight or to 11, eight is best, but 11, and to help us free up seating and parking and childcare space so that we can continue to reach the gospel, reach our community with the gospel, like that's super helpful. Everybody with me on that? And so it's not like I'm angry because I'm not, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, but we want to continue to see the gospel go forward. So uh, I remember a couple of years ago um, in my son's room, uh, a water spot on a rainy downpour day, a water spot shows up on the ceiling and your sheetrock. You ever had that happen? Like, you, you know, like immediately, like that's bad news. And so... Um, and so I climb up into my attic. I have an unfinished attic space, you know. So I'm looking, and it, it, of course, it, it's right in the in the corner uh, of the unfinished attic. And so where this water's dripping in, and so it was dripping in off an exhaust pipe where I knew out on the probably out on the roof, the the boot had probably rotted and it needed a new boot. But before I could get it fixed, I just needed the water to stop running into my house. So so I go and I get a Cool Whip container, and I belly crawl all like I'm in the back of my attic where the roof with the nails coming through or in my back, you know, and you're on these two by sixes or whatever, or eights, and, and you got insulation in your face, right? And you're breathing that in and you're itchy when you get done, you know, and I'm all the way in this corner. I'm trying to get this bucket positioned so no more water will run into my house. And I'm sitting there thinking, 
what am I doing here? Like, who does this, right? So now be honest. How many times have you belly crawled all the way to the corner of your attic, right? A couple of you, And when do you do that? Like, you don't do that on a Saturday morning. Like, you know what? I just want to go to the corner of my attic, unless you're fighting with your spouse. And maybe you do. But like, there's actually a Bible verse about that. So um, yeah, it's in the Bible. So, but like, you only go to the corner of your attic when there's a problem, right? And that's when you belly crawl and you get to the corner. And I think sometimes we treat prayer that way. And, uh, and I don't want us to do that. I want us to develop as followers of Christ to make prayer uh, an integrated part of our lives, okay? And I, I can't hit on all the elements of prayer this morning. Uh, but so for the next four weeks, what we are going to do is we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, and we're just going to take it a line at a time. Now, some of you are like, I cannot believe, like, you know, you're going to preach a whole sermon on like five words. That's what makes a person a pastor, okay? So when you can blather on about five words. And so that's what we're going to do this morning, and uh, we're going to pick our way through the Lord's Prayer. And uh, But it, it's t- the Lord's Prayer is taught, actually, Jesus starts, the disciples come and ask him to teach him to pray. But he also, in this particular one in Matthew, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, when you pray, right? So the expectation of Jesus for a disciple, and by the way, what's at the root of the word disciple? Anybody? Discipline, right? So there needs to be a prayer discipline in our lives. And so at the root of the word disciple is discipline. And so Jesus has an expectation as followers of Christ that we are praying when you pray. Okay, and so this prayer that Jesus gives us, while uh, we repeat it, and we probably have it memorized. Many of you have it memorized. I'm really, really glad you do. Um, but, but it's 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 as much to be repeated. I think it's less to just for us to repeat. Although there's some great things here as a model for our thinking and how we are to approach prayer. So here's what I want to do. Okay, this morning I want to do two things. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. Uh, because I'm sure many of you have it memorized. It's, if you don't, I hope you will commit it to memory because it's a wonderful prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And the second thing we're going to do, if you're new here, I don't usually do this. We're going to do something a little weird because at Coastal, we believe that the Bible is the word of God. Now, let me just say that again, because sometimes you hear that so much as a Christian, you forget what we're saying. The Bible is the word of God. Isn't that amazing? And it's our job to submit our lives to the Word of God. It's not our job to redefine the Bible, like, oh, it can't mean that. God can't mean that, you know, because that's what the culture is doing. No, it's our job to hear the Word of God and adjust our lives to God's Word. And so because of that, I want to say the Lord's Prayer together, and I want us to stand while we do it in honor of the Word of God. Everybody with me on that? Okay, so let's stand together. We're going to say this together, and then I'm going to open us with prayer, and then I'm going to jump in. So here we go. Ready? Let's do this together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this incredible word that your son Jesus has given to us and teaching us to pray, God. And there is a lot here. And um, what we're about to talk about is, is really, really weighty this morning. 
And I, I pray that it would humble us, as we learned this summer in the book of James, that God opposes the proud, uh, but He gives grace to the humble. And understanding who you are, O oh God, is, is the beginning point of humility. And so we, we want to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, knowing that in due time, in your way, God, you exalt the humble. And so we'll, we'll let exaltation be your, what you do. Our job, God, is to worship you, to bring glory to you, humble ourselves under your mighty hand. And so this morning, God, as we look at our Father who art in heaven, God, your name is to be hallowed. I pray that our heart posture would be submission to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. We read that, by the way, in the King James Version, because if I did another version, y'all would be like, I don't even know what we're talking about, all right? So you know, we generally at Coastal use the ESV. So here we go, Matthew 6, 9 in the ESV. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So the first thing that Jesus teaches us here this morning is family intimacy, okay? Family intimacy by saying, our Father. Now, this would have been um, like shocking to the disciples because what they knew of entering the presence of God uh, was once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and, and enter into the presence of God and, and pray on behalf of the nation of Israel. And, and it was this really, uh, really like eight steps that the high priest would have to go through to, to, to enter into the Holy of Holies once a year, right? First, and, and the Bible is very specific on what the high priest had to do, and he was teaching the nation of Israel that, that God is separate. He's holy. And I'm going to, we'll get to that in the back end of the sermon, right? Uh, but once a year, the high priest would, he, to go in the Holy of Holies, he would bathe. And then he put on number two, he put on his holy clothing, this specific clothing that the Lord would have him wear. And then he would offer a sin offering on his, to ask the Lord to forgive him of his sins. Because we know that the Bible says there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And then the high priest would take two goats and one goat he would sacrifice for the sin, to cover the sin of the people. And then the second goat, he would kind of illustratively and metaphorically lay his hands on this goat to take, uh, representing taking the sins of the people. And then they would send this goat out into the wilderness or taking, symbolically taking the sins of the people away. It's where we get the term scapegoat, right? And so they take this scapegoat and they'd send it out in the wilderness. That was step four. And then the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies with his clothing on and they would actually tie a rope around his foot, right? And put bells around his ankle because when he went in, if he went into the Holy of Holies and his heart posture was not right, where he hadn't done what God had commanded, that God in his holiness would strike him dead for his disobedience. And so the rope was around his foot so that if no, they didn't hear the bells ringing while he was in the Holy of Holies making sacrifice and making prayers for the people, they weren't, the other people of Israel weren't allowed to go in, so they would just drag his corpse out by the rope. That's how serious it is to enter the holy presence of God. And then while in there, of course, he would offer prayers and he would sprinkle the blood of the bulls and the goats as a, on the mercy seat to ask God to give them mercy to cover their sins. Then he would exit the Holy of Holies and he would have to bathe again and he would put on a new set of clothing. And then he would take the remains of the bulls and the goats and he would have to take it out of the camp so that it would decompose outside the camp. 
This is all what the high priest did once a year to enter the Holy of Holies, to offer prayers and the forgiveness of sins. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it was like this terrifying yet holy moment. And so when Jesus says, disciples say, teach us pray, and Jesus says, our father, he, he's actually using the term daddy, right? There, there's like an intimacy that probably would blow the disciples' minds, like, man, and, and so we're going to get to the tension of holiness in just a minute, right? But, but you get to end, God is not distant from you, is what Jesus is teaching. God, he cares about, like, there is nothing that you can't bring into the presence of God, Right? The, the financial need and the health need and the broken down car and the wayward child and the, the doctor diagnosis that you didn't like and the, you know, the, the roof that's leaking. Like, like a God cares about oh, the child that you're bringing up, giving you a hard time. Like God cares about all of it. And, and, we, and he loves you. And we get to, there's, an, there's a family intimacy that we get to crawl up into the lap of this holy terrifying God and say, Daddy, I, like, I need you. I need you to hear me. I need some help with this. Isn't that great? And, and so this, and, and our God is a good God, right? And Jesus goes on one chapter later in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. He says, Jesus says, if, the, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. Like he, he's using the, the picture of us as earthly parents, right? Like when your kid asks you for something, you, you, you help them, right? We have a good father who gives us good gifts. And by the way, what is God's greatest gift to us, right? It's, you know, it, it's molding us into the image of Jesus Christ. That's why sometimes we bring prayers to the Lord and, and he says, wait, because he, he knows the timing with which he gets the most glory and which is best for us and maybe the person that or the thing that we're, we're praying about, that, that God is in the process of, of, first of all, bringing glory to his own name, because that's the greatest thing that he can do. Secondly, he's in the process of molding us into the image of his son, Jesus. And therefore, sometimes this good God requires us to have patience as we pray because he knows the best timing for the first two things is glory and us being molded into the image of Christ to happen best, okay? And so he's a good God, and sometimes we have to be patient, but our good God, he cares for us. There's an intimacy, and let her see our good, because he's our heavenly father, our heavenly daddy, if you will, it also means he doesn't leave us alone. Like, you're never alone. A prayer should not be your last resort, right? I think that's the illustration of crawling into the corner of your attic. Like you only go there when it's trouble, right? No, prayer should be first resort. Like, man, God, why, you care for me. And we're never alone. There's no place on the planet. There's no season in your life. Uh, there, there's, there's no time of day where God doesn't care for you. And we can go to him. Our dad has all resources, right? When we say, Daddy, I need you, we know that our Father, our Heavenly Father, has all resources, right? We learn this from our children, your young children, right? Do you, I mean, how many of you have, had, have young children that at some point this summer, they're like, you know, Mom and Dad, um, with inflation and everything, and I've just been eating so much, I, 
I probably should pace myself just to save some resources around the house. Would that, would any of your kids come to you and do that, right? No, why, did, why not? Because they know your dad, your mom, you got all the resources, right? And I think we know this in our own children. And, uh, and so, you know, and so we, same likewise, like we go to our heavenly father, he has all the resources. And because he's our heavenly father, we have the family name, right? Well, so letter E, right? Because we're in a relationship with our God and we have the family name, that relationship demands obedience. I used to say this to my kids, right? Like, you know, when they, you know, some of your parents with the young kids, you'll find this out in a couple of years. You'll probably, probably, not all kids, but some, it's not uncommon for kids somewhere between 12 and 15 to come home and be like, you'll come home after church or after youth group and they'll be like, man, I don't, I don't want to go back. That's so boring. Okay. And so, and so you're going to, this is what you're going to look. You're going to look at them and you go, your last, so the way I would do it is your last name is Brown and Browns go to church. And until you want to move out and not eat my food anymore with these high inflated prices, like that's what you do, right? We take on the family name. And so we, and so guess what? In just a minute, when we start to talk about holiness, we talk about hallowed be thy name. If you're here this morning, you take on the name Christian. There, there's a family behavior that is displayed in our lives as we take on this name, Daddy. You know, and, and there's a, an obedience that His commands. And by the way, when we, when God commands something. It's not robbing you of fun, it's giving you life, okay? God's commands are good for us. He's not the cosmic killjoy, he's the life giver, he's the freedom giver. When we do things opposite of God's commands, we're actually placing ourselves in bondage. And so God says, when I give you these things, these commands are actually gifts to you, right? To, to walk in holiness and righteousness. And so we take on the family name, we walk in family obedience. All right, number two, there's an intimacy, right? Our father, but there's a, the next two are kind of tensions, the riverbanks of how we approach our God in prayer, right? And so it's our father, in heaven. Father is intimate and close and relational. Heaven is distant, right? In heaven gives us the idea of supremacy and sovereignty. Heaven, our father in heaven is the idea that that God is God and you're not. Heaven is the idea that, that God is the supreme sovereign ruler of the universe. Heaven, it's really, and by the way, some of the prophets and stuff, when you get these little glimpses into heaven, sometimes the glimpses into heaven have a very um, courtroom feel. I don't know if if you ever spent any time in a courtroom. Some of you are like, no, we're in church on Sunday. Nothing I'm going to admit to you, okay? So, Man, there is a, um, when you go into a courtroom, like there, and, you, and we're talking about a judge and the law, like there's no playing around. 
Did you know that you can't go into a courtroom in the United States of America dressed any way you want? Did you know that? I bet you didn't know that, right? Remember, probably about 10 years ago, my wife is, I don't know if she's in the service or not, I'll probably get in trouble for this, I didn't say it last service, but my wife is like the last of the American Idol watchers, okay? Like the declining attendance in American Idol. But about 10 years ago, there was this guy, I don't remember his name, I wish I did. He showed up on American Idol with his own song, and he couldn't sing very well, but the song has stuck with me, and it's probably stuck with some of you. He came in and he said, pants on the ground, pants on the ground, looking like a fool with the pants on the ground, right? Some of y'all remember that song, right? You sang it to your kids, right? Like, yeah, and that's, did you know if you go into a courtroom with your pants on the ground, there will be a state trooper says, hey, pull those pants up and tuck that shirt in. You don't, you don't get to walk in here however you want. Do you know if you're in a courtroom, you kind of lean back on the bench and put your arms up, you know, like it's real casual-like. There's going to be somebody in your, in your space going, hey, get your arms down. Now, how many of you grew up in a church, and that's kind of how church was, right? Yeah, me too. You're, uh, I was going to say, some of y'all are too young. You grew up in this church. It ain't like that here, all right? Like, stop yourself. So, No, but you know what? I grew up like that. You know, you got your, remember this? You get your Sunday best on, right? And you dress up. And, and, and some of that in the contemporary model church, which I lead one of those, and I'm all for, like, come as you are. We're so glad. Like, all that is true, 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 true. But there's something that I think we've lost that when we gather corporately and we're worshiping the God of the Bible, it's our father, daddy, intimacy, come as you are. Yes, you're a mess. Dad's going to clean you up, all that. But he's in heaven too. Like, Like we better get our minds around the idea that God is not like us. In fact, one of the things we love to do is kind of form God in our own image. Like, I'm going to make God be what I want God to be. And, and, there, and there's a piece of, like, this God creator is, he's separate. Psalm chapter 8, verse 3 and 4, right? The psalmist writes, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars. Anybody see the moon, like, the last couple nights? Like, what in the world? The moon and the stars, which you've set in place. Like, like yes, I get to say daddy. And he, and he actually says that here in verse 4. But, but there's a portion of our approach to the God of the Bible is like, man, who am I? Who is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Like, there needs to be a pause in our hearts and minds that like, man, when we talk to God... It is a sacred, sovereign, awesome, both opportunity and responsibility. We better check ourselves. The phrase in heaven means ability, right? Ability. All, it's our creator, which is letter C. So it's both ability and creator, letter C. In heaven, God is creator. We're the creation. God sits where we do not sit. He is the creator and we are the creature when we approach him in prayer and in heart and in attitude and in corporate worship together on a Sunday morning, we better be mindful that God is God, he's creator, we're not. First, uh, Isaiah chapter 6, we get this little glimpse where Isaiah the prophet gets this little glimpse into the 
the inner chambers of the holy temple, and he gets to see kind of the just the robe. He doesn't even get to see God. He just gets to see the backside of God's clothing, if you will, right? And he gets this little glimpse into the holy presence of God. In Isaiah 6, 1 through 3, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, some kind of created angelic being. And each had six wings. And and with two of the wings, they covered their face. And with two of their wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And while they're flying, the seraphim are calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, I don't have the rest of this passage up there, and I probably should, but the rest of it is Isaiah comes to grips with his own sinfulness. And he falls before God, and he's like, woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah comes to grips with his sinfulness, but let me ask you something. Why are the angels covering up in the presence of God? Because the seraphim are without sin. They have not broken the holy character of God. They're, they're, they're still like one set of wings like this, another set of wings like, man, and then calling out. Why are they covering? The reason they're covering is because even the seraphim are wise enough to understand that in the presence of God, they're the creature and God is the creator. And if angels without sin have this kind of response in the presence of God who art in heaven, how much more should we as both created and sinners have this kind of response and heart posture in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen? And so it's our Father, intimacy, who art in heaven, distance. Just to remind us, point number three, hallowed be your name. The hallowing of the Lord's name at the root is, is the word holiness, which encompasses both God as Father and, and God being in heaven. This is, this is critical to our understanding of prayer, and it's critical to your understanding of your life, and it's critical to your understanding of why you need Jesus. Because letter A, holiness is is the very character of God. Now God is all of his character all at the same time. But we see throughout scripture that the holiness of God is usually talked about in a threefold manner. Holy, lest you forget, holy, lest you forget, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Leviticus 19, Moses writes, he says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, 
You shall be holy. Why? Because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Holiness means to be separate. Holiness means that God is separate in ability. God is separate in morality. God is separate in longevity. God is separate from sin and his character consumes sin. Your sin and my sin, which is our very nature, is us violating the character of God. And in fact, and the reason I'm, I'm, I'm pausing so long on this point this morning and why it's really the, the main so what this morning is just to meditate on the character of God is because if you don't know the character of God, you're never going to understand Jesus and why you need Jesus. You see, the church has done a tremendous disservice by presenting the gospel as God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, there, that's one of the riverbanks of truth. God does love you. God does have a purpose, and he does have a wonderful plan for your life. But you have to understand what you and I need saving from is actually the character of God. We violated his character, and what we actually deserve is his wrath and his judgment. And until you can understand that, that this Father in heaven is hallowed, you, you, until you get that and you meditate on it and you think about, man, my, my sin is so wretched. My sin smells so bad in the presence of God. What I really, really deserve is to be consumed and to bear the weight of God's punishment for my rebellion against his character. Until you understand that, you're never going to see the bigness of Jesus in the gospel. Jesus is going to be this little tack on to your life. Why is, why is the cross so bloody? Why the beating of Jesus? Why the, like, if you know anything about crucifixion, like it's, it's the most horrible form of death probably ever devised by man. It's excruciating and slow and like, why did God do that? Like when we sit up here and talk about the cross and we got this beautiful thing and beautiful lights, we got one hanging around our neck. Like we forget it's an instrument of suffering and death Why'd God do that? Because he wants you to know that's how serious he is about your sin. That's how serious he is about you young people going, you know what, I'm going to sleep around with my boyfriend or girlfriend before I get married. I don't care, I don't care what the Bible says. It's how serious he is about when we click on the phone or the internet and we just choose to indulge our flesh in pornography. It's how serious God is when we decide to gossip about our leaders. It's how serious it is when we say, you know what, I, I'm not going to be generous with my money. I'm, I'm going to hoard it. And we could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on of a list of disobedience. And it's, we look at the cross and go, man, God is serious. He's holy and he is serious about our sin. And it's payment and it's penalty. In fact, I would suggest you check this out, a couple of verses. All of creation recognizes God's holiness. Ready? Earth, the earth trembles at God's holiness. 
The book of Nahum says the mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. The physical earth heaves and melts before the presence of God. Even the spiritual enemies of God, the demons, they, they tremble at the presence of God. James 2.19, you believe God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and are smart enough to shudder. And the angels, they bow in the presence of God. Revelation 7, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders, the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and honor and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. All of creation is humble enough to bow in the presence of a holy God. There's only one part of creation that is proud enough to stand in the presence of God and say, you know what, I think I'll do it my own way. And that's humanity. Isn't that amazing? You know, only humanity says, you know what, God, I, I don't care what you say about marriage, we'll redefine it. Only humanity is the one that will say, don't tell us what pronoun to give you. We'll tell you what pronoun we can use. Remember Oprah saying that once. I think we can call God he or she, she declared. Like, what are you talking about? Who, who are you? Who am I? Who are we to tell God how we are to approach him? Who are we to tell God how we're to build our marriages? And if I take us to Ephesians 5 and walk us through a marriage, husbands, love your wives. It's Christ's love the church. And wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And I preach that, all of a sudden people are throwing darts at me. How dare you so backwards? Who are we to tell God how to best do marriage? Who are we to best tell God how to use our finances? If I get up here and preach about money and giving, all of a sudden, like, oh, my God, all the churches, out the door we go. Like, who are we? I could spend a whole sermon on how God created you. Special, unique, amazing. Yeah, we think we get to stay before God and go, I'll be the one that decides what gender I am. Like, who are we? Look, the supremacy of God and the hallowing of his name is the greatest need of our world. One amen. Let me say that again. The hallowing of God's name is the greatest need of our world. Amen? That means I agree. The hallowing of God's name is the greatest need of our culture. Yesterday I was talking to my father-in-law. We were just, he's a, my father-in-law is probably 20-some years older than me, give or take. And we were just talking about how, like, how, how, what happened in our culture, man? Like, it has pivoted so hard in the last 40 years. 
And then I was talking to my staff this week, so I'm just bringing a couple thoughts together here. Like we were talking about like, like what we need in this culture is revival. What we need in this culture is spiritual. And it begins with our understanding of who God is and who is creator and who gets to say, where does the buck stop? Like our greatest need is not a politician or a tax bill or a law that's going to say we need the people in this culture to say God is God and we're not. The hallowing of God's name is the greatest need in this culture. The hallowing of God's name is the greatest need of your family. Not education, not how much money you sock away, not making sure you get kids get all the sporting events in 18 days a week. The greatest need of your family is that your children have come to grips with the hallowing of God's name. The greatest need in your life is that you submit your life to a holy God and you hallow his name. There's nothing that you can put your time and your talent and your treasure and your effort towards that would be better suited than the hallowing of God's name. Because it's not democracy and it's not food and it's not stopping all the forms of injustice that we all get spun up about. And it's not education and it's not technology. All of these are overflows of the hallowing of God's name. And when mankind has an appropriate fear and an appropriate understanding of God and his holy and awesome character, it is only at that moment that we will bow in the and go, man, I need saving the only way I can be saved from my character, from my nature, is to receive God's salvation plan, which is the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is our only hope. And the rest of this prayer makes very little sense until we've come to grips with my job for my 70 or 80 years and then to an eternity future forever and ever and ever is to hallow, to worship, to glorify, to magnify the name of God. And when my heart is captured in worship to the hallowing of God's name, the overflow of that worship is behavior change. That man, when, I, when I'm no longer worshiping self or culture or whatever, and God is at the center of my heart, that I want to be like my creator who is be holy because he's holy. That I'm changed from the inside out. I want you to be captured in worship by the God of the Bible. This is the hope of humanity. This is the hope of your life. Everything else is a distant second. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Because when we want to make God famous, then our prayers, they become a lot less about our 401ks. And they become a lot more about, man, God, you know what? Your kingdom come. God, you know what? When I walk out of the doors this week, your will be done. And God, you know what? As I pray, I, I, I just need enough sustenance to get through the day so that I can successfully hallow your name. So God, if you would just give us this day our daily bread. I don't even always pray this next line because I, I have to do a heart check. Because it's a bold statement to say, and forgive us our debts. So we've forgiven our debtors. And you are not going to freely offer forgiveness to the people who have wounded you until you understand the debt that I owe a hallowed be thy name God is way greater than any wound someone's put in my heart. Amen? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And God, my greatest fear in my life is to stumble in sin because it's a violation of your character and it wrecks my life. So God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil because there's nothing that I can give my life to that's more important than your kingdom because yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever. Amen. Amen, church? Amen. All right, let's, uh, prayer team, come on up. Worship team, come on up. We offer the prayer team every single week, and I know I'm late here this morning. We offer the prayer team every single week. It's a really big thing to have the opportunity to pray with someone. I hope you're catching that this morning. Man, we get to enter in the presence of God and bring our needs. They are here for you. So prayer team, they're always here to pray with you. And um, since we close with the Lord's Prayer, let's just go out singing this morning. So uh, let me pray over you, and then we're going to go out singing this morning. Father, I pray for the one that uh, this morning as I'm talking, um, your spirit's convicting that they're trifling with sin, God. We, we got to be a people that, I mean, how's the, how's the world going to be see revival, God, if we, your children, continue to trifle with sin, God? Like it's some small matter, God. It's, it's such a big matter that you sent your son. He died in our place, God, to remind us, man, that's, you're serious about, you know, that website we keep clicking on. The way I'm treating my spouse, God, like that's a big deal to you. God, we need... Raising our children in the Lord, like the culture's pulling at them and we're like, ah, they don't really want to come to church this week. God, like forgive us, like bring our kids to church so they can hear about this holy God and be transformed. God, I mean, mold us into your image. You're holy. 
Help us to be holy by our worship of Christ and the Holy Spirit in us transforming us. Help us to be holy because you're a holy God. We want to know you. We want to walk with you. We want to be like you. Hallowed be thy name. So for the one that's here this morning, man, they're struggling with that sin. God, I pray they would today put the stake in the ground and say, I'm done messing with it. I'm going to surround myself with accountability. I'm going to get some brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to confess. I'm going to be free. I'm going to walk in holiness and righteousness for the fame of, a, of the kingdom and the glory of God. Because that is the kingdom. That is the power. That is the glory. I want to walk in that kingdom. I want to know the joy of that kingdom. I want to know the freedom of that kingdom. Not this little kingdom I'm over here building on my own. God, I want to be free. And so we're going to go out singing God today, reminding us of the freedom that we have in Christ. That in Christ, our shame, our guilt is gone, and we walk in the freedom of the kingdom of God, found in the person of Christ. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.